0: You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Awesome. Now I want you to stay standing. i got an announcement to make and I want you to be... Standing in the announcement. Just have the house lights up. Good morning, church. It's good news. After uh, years of attempting to gain the ability to be registered as an approved PBI, which is a public benevolent institution that gives us tax deductible status, we've been trying for this for decades. We received notice last week from the government, it's been granted to the C3 Victory Center. How good is that? How good is that? So thank you to our absentee business manager today. I noticed he put the pictures together and then hid. Uh, Pete McQuillan, who worked long and hard on this. To our executive board, now everybody's standing, but executive board members, wave, wave. To our executive board members who, um, who never gave up, who believed in the vision and continue to pursue this, uh, thank you. Thank you to the board of C3 Victory Center, which is uh, Pete McQuillan, Tim Roberts, wherever you are there, you are my, Graham, Graham, yours truly, and last but not least, Pastor Karen, who's at Northwest Campus this morning, who is now working for the center passionately, uh, you know, tirelessly to get services and connections happening through the city, and it is ramping up. And thank you to the members of Victory who said this is a weird kind of thing to do, but we're with you in this vision, And so, come on. Thank you most of all to our Lord. Give God a hand. Come on. How awesome is our God? Give Him a praise offering. Awesome. Incredible. This is a real breakthrough, people. This is a real breakthrough. And it will will thrust us into the future of making an impact. The church at large is on a journey of regaining face and credibility with the community. And uh, we are on that journey. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Why don't you give somebody a high five before you sit down? Love doing that. Pastor Nate loves praying for jets and knights, and I just love you guys giving a high five. Thank you, Jack. That's cool. That's great. How is everybody this morning? Better start this thing. Yes, Jim, I know you're well. You always are. I just wish I had half the energy you have, Jim. He's amazing. I mean, even at this age, he's still winning things at the men's ministry the other night, which is incredible. So, for all you young guys that didn't have a go, Jim will teach you. Hey, you've been on an eight-week journey through one of the great—what I think is one of the greatest books of the New Testament—and I get the privilege of closing it out today. It just landed like that, and I've heard terrific reports about the series and about the preachers doing a great job, didn't they? Why don't you give them a hand? They did a great job with this. But I mean, come on, let's be real. Who couldn't do a great job with Philippians? It kind of stands alone. But I want to do a a quick recap before we dive into the final part of the book. Um, Paul is under house arrest 800 miles from Rome. This is one of his prison letters that he's written while under arrest. He writes to the church. That he planted some 10 years earlier. And whether you know this or not, this is the first European church in history. Did you know that? Did you still? Where's Andrew? He went out somewhere. It stole all my thunder, didn't you? Well, that's right. They probably forgot because they'll forget after this anyway. So I'll say it again. But the deal is this. If you go back to Acts 16, you see the planting of the church. But I want you to think even closer. We can link our heritage back to this church. As a Western, European, non-Eastern church, our heritage goes all the way back to this first European church, which is interesting. So when you read the book of Philippians, you go, he's talking to us. So Paul is talking to us. And you'll notice in this letter, it is the warmest, most affectionate letter he ever wrote. There are no sharp rebukes, only exhortations and encouragement. You'll notice that the word sin, sinner, or sinning is never used in this book, which is amazing, isn't it? And the letter begins in chapter 1, verse 6, with absolute confidence. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, until time ends and he's finished working with everybody who's here. But then it ends with empowerment. Everybody knows that, you know, 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I won't show you, but I've got it tattooed on me in the never regions. No, I don't. I'm kidding you. I'm kidding you. Pastor Earl was about to cheer, right? No. One of the most uh, incredible verses in Scripture, but you need to know that both confidence and empowerment are active and present throughout this book, regardless of the circumstances. Don't miss that point. And that's what makes this book so great. And even though the letter is from Paul to the Christians at Philippi, Christ is the central figure of this book. Not the people, not Paul, not the circumstances. In Christ, in Him, through Him. 104 times in 61 verses, Paul refers to Christ. I think that means something powerful, doesn't it? That's pretty incredible. And you need to keep that, I think, Pastor Knight said that a couple of weeks ago. Pastor Darren said that at Northwest last week, and I'm sure the others did. He is the central figure of our faith, right? But the key theme of this book, I kind of differ with commentators on the key theme. Sorry, Gordon Fee. Uh, they've been following a book. I write my own. Anyway, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I get, to, I get to say that after so many years. But I believe the key theme of this book is found in chapter 1, verse 5. People often say, oh, it's a letter of joy. Yeah. Sorry, Joy, wherever she went. It, look, it is, about, it is about being happy. But I think even deeper than that, Paul says this in chapter 1, verse 5. I am really joyful because of our partnership in the gospel. I think the key theme is the partnership. Because it goes all the way through the book. And it's even found in the closing section that we're going to look at in a few minutes. Chapter 4, verse 10 and onwards. If you've got an analog Bible, you can turn there. But we're going to read it in a minute from the screen, but before we go there, I want you to allow me a moment of reflection and celebration. I said I was going to come back to 75 years, because I don't think it's coincidental or insignificant that we're looking at this part of Philippians on our 75th anniversary as a church. We'll get there, I'll tell you why. But it's really special for me, because last month, I preached at my home church's 120th anniversary. So I was born again there, baptized there, married there, sent out from there, and had an affiliation with them for decades, which was so, so special. But I have that same privilege here today at the 75th, which I think is incredible. And the most impacting thing for me in both settings is that theme, our partnership in the gospel. We're not just friends. We're partners, in a good way. The word partner gets thrown around too flippantly today, meaning all kind of things. Paul uses it in a deep way because in some English versions, it doesn't say partnership. It says fellowship. It's the same word. It means the same thing. Our common life together. Now, let me tell you why this is special to me. Because I've had a partnership, a relationship with my home church for 45 years and with you for nearly 25. And that's why it's so special. But what's even more interesting, even quirky, it hit me the other day when I was preparing the last sermon I preached in my home church in 1981 before I left for Australia is from the very text I'm preaching today. I didn't make this happen. Blame him. No, I think he had a prophetic insight, didn't you? How good did he just honor everybody today? I mean, he is so honoring. I think Pastor Nate is one of the most honoring young men that I know, and I love hanging around him. Makes me feel good. Anyway, but... How quirky is that? You know, I didn't engineer this, but I do believe God has something special in this today. And not just for me, but for all of us. I believe He's got something. Uh, and as we, as we read the Word of God, I, I believe, you know, something's going to happen. Right? So I want you to do something. This is a little bit quirky. Call me old-fashioned. There is a little bit of tradition in there. I am from the deep south. I'd like us to stand as we read the Word of God together. And I want to do that in honor of the Word that is inspired by God Himself as he gave it down through the first European church, down through centuries rolling down to us, just as relevant, just as powerful, just as faith-building for us as it was for them. So, I'm going to start reading. I'm going to get you to join me at verse 13 and verse 19. We're going to do it out loud, but let me read first. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, let's read together. Ready? I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. All right, let me keep going. Yet it was good of you to share my troubles... Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Join me. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Awesome. Why not you have a seat? Then he kind of uh, does the final greetings, which are about a a week or two's worth of sermons in themselves. So, I'm kind of torn between two emotions today. I feel excited and honored to preach the text on our anniversary, but I also feel disappointed because I only get 30 minutes. That's true. Man, I'd, I'd love to have several weeks to work through this text to get all the gold out of it. I can. There's so much gold in this text. So, V Group leaders, get to the gold. However... My goal today is not to give you more information. Don't have the time. Not the right setting just for information alone. Australian Christians, we live in an information-rich society. This little thing here, will just you just talk to her. She talks to me even when I don't want to hear from her. I think she's demonized. But anyway, she'll start talking to me. However, more information, even biblical study alone, isn't going to change our lives. My goal today is not more information, but transformation. To be changed from glory to glory. So even though I'm torn between two emotions, I'm actually convinced that something's going to happen. Are you? Thanks, Nate. Because I know and believe the Holy Spirit's here. He is present in His Word and in our lives. And I'm certain that that that's a winning combination. That something powerful is going to happen where he just changes us in a moment. He can do something in seconds that I couldn't do in a thousand sermons. Which is true. And and can I encourage you, can you just kind of focus on him right now? Let the problems of yesterday fade away. Don't worry about the tasks of tomorrow. Don't worry about rain at the racetrack right now. It's all right. Somebody will win. I want you to... Focus on his word for the next few moments, because I can promise you when you do, faith rises, without a doubt. So I I just want to make three simple points, as best I can, be simple, out of this passage of scripture that's going to position us for God to do a work in us. And and I kind of think these three points are relevant on our 75th anniversary. So here they are. Number one, historically, I can see Paul looking back and getting benefit from looking back in the text we're about to look at. Number two, currently. We can't just stay in yesterday. We live today. And there's power of looking in, outside ourselves in this moment. But number three, futuristically, there is something even greater with advantage of looking ahead. And that's where I want to take us today because I think it's found in the scripture. You ready? Here we go. So, Paul starts on a journey backwards. He knows the benefit historically of looking back. And in verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, I remember 10 years ago where it all began. 10 years ago, as I ventured for the first time into Europe, and I found myself next to a river, and there was a woman who was spinning purple, and she had all of her family and employees there, and they were miraculously born again, the whole lot of them. And then this little demonized girl who was so possessed that it just broke my heart. I saw God set her free and they threw us in jail for that. And we started singing songs to God and bam, the jail opened and the the jailer and his whole family got saved that night. A church was born in Europe. He said, I remember. He said, that's our partnership because that's our relationship. That's our fellowship. And historically, it runs deep between them. And you're not just going to find it in the first chapter. I'll show you in a few minutes. You're going to find it in chapter four. He keeps talking about this togetherness. Matter of fact, let's go there now. Chapter 4, verse 15. It should come up on the screen. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, watch this not one church shared. Okay. So the noun for fellowship, partnership, is koinonia. You've heard that word, all right? But the verb form, well, the, the, the common short form is the word which means common. We have something in common. Right? But then he takes it into a verb form and says this. Literally, no one joined with me in partnership except you. Except you. And he remembers the connection in the gospel. And first and foremost, you could read this in bit and go, Oh, he's just saying thank you for a love offering. No, no, no. Don't go there. Although he's grateful for their support, this is far greater than money. This is not about money. This is about the common life that people have together in Jesus Christ. There is nothing richer, more powerful than that, I'm telling you. You know, Jesus even said, when they turned around and looked and said, Hey, what about your mother? What about your brothers? And he turned and looked at all of his followers and said, There's my mother and my brothers. You know what he was saying? The family of God is far deeper than even a natural family. Some of us have family members who are not in the family of God. We feel separated, we feel distant, we feel like something's missing in the relationship. But not with believers. He remembers this connection in the gospel and he is grateful for their common life together. And the deal is this. He's also grateful for their commitment to the gospel. It's not just, hey, hey we got from Paul, that's awesome. I just wonder, I just wonder, I wonder today, are are we inevitably creating a Christianity of spectatorism? Hmm. Where week by week people go church shopping to see who's going to give them the best thing that Sunday. Are they going to look on television or online? And instead of saying, no, no, we're committed to the fellowship, the partnership, we are together, come hell or high water, we are together. It matters not if Mickey Mouse preaches. We're here. It matters not who's got the best presentation. We're here. It matters not if they got all the bells and whistles and best buildings. We are here. Anyway, sorry. i get going too long. Didn't mean to. It's not in the notes. Get back. This commitment to the gospel. But the evidence in this book shows that this is the only church who ever supported Paul in his mission work. But not only that, the only church that supported him while he was in prison. And I said it at Northwest last week, and I'll say it here. Being in prison in Rome is a bit like being in prison in Indonesia. The Romans are not obliged to feed you. Because you are a burden to their society. And unless someone comes and brings supplies and sustenance, you starve. Why do you think he says, I know what it's like to go without And when he says, thank you for your gift, he's probably saying, I get to eat today. Hmm. But you know what? More than that, he's gone, guys, you know what? For 10 years now, I just thank God for your commitment to the gospel. You are so committed to getting this good news out. Did you know, I think Pastor Nate referred to this. There are some good reasons for looking back and remembering. Sometimes in Christianity, we think if someone looks back, it's sinning. You know, a couple of times in the New Testament, God tells us to look back, to reflect, to remember. Do you know what it does? Remembering helps us foster a grateful spirit. When you saw those pictures, what did you think? Ooh, ah, look at them. Or did you think, how good is God? Look what he's done. Look what he's done. But remembering also creates an expectant spirit. What he's done, he will do again. Right? Because he's so faithful. And I'll tell you, there's a lot to be grateful for as we remember what the Lord's done in and through the people of victory over 75 years. For many of you, your faith journey began here. You know, I look out across the auditorium and I can see people who either came to faith for the first time or renewed their faith. There was Simeon who's preaching at Northwest. God bless him right now as he's about to start. Um, there he was getting baptized in the picture with his faith brand new. And some of you started your faith journey here. So many of you, your faith journey has been strengthened and accelerated. Man, we are grateful, incredibly grateful. And I'm so grateful for the privilege of leading this amazing church for a third of its life. You know, in America, they told me while I was there, 1,500 pastors a month are calling it quits. 1,500. You sure have put up with me for a long time. That's a lot of months, isn't it? But I've seen God do incredible things. So just let me remember for a minute. I remember... The freedom, in a powerful way, getting loosed in our church. How many of you remember that? That was just incredible. I think it's a signature across victory. If I didn't have a name for this church, I'd rename it Freedom Church. I I, I remember in our auditorium back at Fraser Parade, the Holy Spirit just, just moving. Nobody engineering, just moving tangibly in worship services where everybody was on their face or their knees. Nobody telling them to do it. People were taking their shoes off. We had a guest speaker, took his shoes off and laid face down on the carpet because of the presence of God I I, I remember so many people getting called into ministry from this church it's just so much to be grateful for but I want to tell you like Paul I'm confident that he who began it is going to continue it it is. so I want to say to you like Pastor Nate said earlier Jesus Christ same yesterday today and forever remember Jesus Christ is the God of yesterday right so thank him for everything he's done historically. All right. Paul now turns his attention from history to now, the present. He's currently saying, hey, we've got stuff going on. And what he does, he turns inward and gets power. But not in a way that people tell you today to turn inward, find the light and get power. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Literally in the original, I can do all things through Christ who is constantly strengthening me. This isn't a one-off event, not a one-off experience, not a one-off thing that you can get and go, that was nice. You know, um, Cam and I had this amazing experience. We got to go to the University of Alabama. Um, Last time I was there was 1993, go figure. And I mean, been stuck in Wiela for so long, you didn't go anywhere. And uh, we went to the homecoming game, stood at the walk. We stood for an hour and 45 minutes, wasn't it? At the Walk of Champions, where they all walk in and people are cheering and all kind of things. And, and that was awesome. And we think this is incredible. And, and, and we reminisce about that. But, man, it's like a flash. Here today, gone tomorrow. Oh, it's all over. How did that happen? And Paul is saying, hey, listen, I want to tell you something. While I can reminisce and I, I can go down memory lane and I can think back to all those fun things, this is not what it's about. I can't deny or ignore what's going on right now in my life. And some of you could go, man, it's hard to remember because right now things are tough, life sucks. And Paul is a prisoner. He cannot move around wherever he wants to go. He cannot fulfill his life's purpose in preaching the gospel in the places he wants to go preach. And the context tells us that even his basic needs aren't being met. He said, I know what it's like to be needy. I know what it's like to go hungry. I'm I'm in want. I'm missing a lot of stuff. And on top of that, he's aware that the Christians at Philippi are being persecuted. You go back to chapter 1, verse 28. They're facing incredible persecution for their faith. And he knows also that they're, they're battling poverty. People don't realize this, but if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, often used in an offering, the churches of Macedonia gave out of their poverty. Macedonia, Philippi. The region is Macedonia, the city is Philippi. And he said, you guys are rich in Corinth, you gave nothing. These guys are poor, and they gave out of their poverty. It's like the widow with two mites. And he says, I know you guys are I know it's going tough. So if you go back to verse 11, Paul says, you know, I'm I'm not writing you right now just because of an offering you gave me. Verse 11 says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Just pause for a moment. In his day, philosophy abounded. People in his day, sounds a bit like today, were trying to find how to finally be satisfied. Couldn't get it. He said, it's almost like he's using stoic language, philosophical language. I, I, I found the secret of nirvana, you know, whatever language you use. And they're going, whoa, the man, it's like Forrest Gump in the movie. People followed him running across America because they thought he had the answer. He said, I just felt like running. And, uh, and so Paul says, look, I've learned the secret. Verse 12, he said, and and, and it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Verse 12, now watch this. I know what it is to be in need. Do you know that word need literally in the original means to be humbled? Man, I've been beaten down. I've been humbled. I'm not the highfalutin Pharisee that stood and held the guy's jackets that stoned Stephen to death anymore. I've had that pride beaten out of me. He said, I know what it is, though, to be rich and to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, any, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You realize that verse is off the back of everything happening around him. It's not some random verse that a UFC player tattoos on his shoulder saying, I hope I win every fight. This is a man in the trenches who's been beaten down, who said, that doesn't touch my soul. You know, people search high and low today for contentment. Isn't it true? They they seem to be never satisfied. They're, They're searching for the next thing, the best thing. You know, contentment means happiness, gratification, satisfaction, gladness. They just can't get it. I'm just... Not satisfied. And while some people try to find it in relationships, achievements, experiences, possessions. I heard, a, I heard a major athlete, professional athlete, say the other day how unsatisfied he was with his latest achievement. Didn't fill the void. So he's going for the next. Um, people try, other people try to get it through religion, philosophy, yoga, Eastern meditation. Did you know? People by the thousands are turning to this because they're so empty, so dissatisfied, so discontent. Go Google this one. There's actually mindset coaches today. Go figure. They call themselves mindset coaches. I think I just found my next job. This, listen, they're people who try to help people. Literally, now I quote off their website. They help people get out of their own heads so they can stress less. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will give you the deepest contentment you could ever have. He just wrote that. Paul said, Yeah, I'm satisfied. I'm strong. I'm okay. Because empowerment doesn't come from those around us. Listen, while others can encourage me and you, uh, they can't supply the strength we need to rise above our circumstances. Stop blaming people and stop expecting people to get you out of it. Because there's only one who can. They, look, people can spur us on, but they cannot fill us with power. And satisfaction can't be gained from what's given to me or what I earn. My next degree, my next achievement, my next award, my next trophy... I, I've got all these trophies from the multiple sports I played when I was younger. i tell you one that you'd never figure that I won. I won novice at boomerang throwing in a national championship in Australia in 1984. I don't know what you're clapping for. I was the only one in it. No, that's not true. No, but I did. Our treasurer, Wyella, was the national and international champion at boomerang throwing. He showed me one quick lesson, and I won the championship. Go figure And you'd go, wow, you'd display that trophy. Ah, It's in a plastic box up in the cupboard somewhere. It's empty. Doesn't mean anything right now. Doesn't give satisfaction, no matter how hard I work for that thing. Because the truth is, the secret is in there. No, hang on, hang on. Doesn't mean the power of positive thinking. There's, a, there's an advertisement on sport right now for Australian basketball, and the guy's just talking about everything he's going to achieve in himself. And he even says, I am or, and I will be incredible. Golly, what happened to the tall poppy syndrome? This is not Paul's not talking about the power of positive thinking, where we view self as the ultimate source of strength and encouragement. You can be anything you want to be. Would you stop lying? That's not true. I will never be a brain surgeon. No matter how much I put my mind to it, I will never play the piano like Karina. I will never be a dancer like Harvey Gron. The, movie, the, the music moves me, but it moves me ugly. He's smooth. Paul makes it clear that his sufficiency is beyond himself. He said, "It's actually inside me because Christ. Is in me the hope of glory. There is a philosopher who is a contemporary of Paul. You will be reading his quotes around today. His name is Seneca. Anybody ever read a quote from Seneca? Yeah, a few people. All you gotta do is start reading brainy quotes and all that stuff, and this name, Seneca, will pop. Everybody knows Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. Well, here's this guy at the same age as Paul, who was actually the advisor to Nero. Interesting. I think I got it on the screen. Look what he said. Is it up there? Yeah. The greatest blessings of mankind are within us and within our reach. Sounds good, doesn't it? Except what he means is, it's in yourself. It is the self. You don't need anybody or anything else. It is in self. And what you will find today, people are finding emptiness in possessions and chasing the wind. And they're turning to philosophies like this. In mass, people are turning to this kind of philosophy, trying to go deep within, to find the light, to find meaning, and to find this philosophy that gives me meaning in life. And Paul said, hey, listen, that's not what I'm talking about when I say look in. What Paul is talking about is I found the secret of contentment, and it's not in religion. I tried that. I was a fanatic. Even being fanatical at religion isn't going to fill your life. It's just going to fill your time. It wasn't until he invited Christ into his life that he found power. His life was filled. It's like, you know, I've been rich. I've been hungry. I've had everything. I've had nothing. But nothing took that away. I was filled. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In spite of the circumstances I'm in right now currently. You know, Paul's not saying here that Christians are never going to face tough times. Every one of us dread the day we get the phone call. We sit at home right now, every night, waiting for the next phone call. We had one in March. We're waiting for one now. You get to an age, guys, where you go to the doctor and you hold your breath. Not because of what he does at the examination, but because of the results. Sorry, I'm just saying All you boomers know what I'm talking about. You go home and for a few days you hold your breath. Because whether you know it or not, there are more men with prostate cancer than women with breast cancer. And they even say to you, it's not a matter of if you get it, it's a matter of when. You hold your breath. All of us know, regardless of how strong our faith is, there are moments like these. But it doesn't take away contentment. Because something is much bigger Something is higher, Something is stronger. Listen, don't just look at yesterday and go, "Oh, I want to go back there. Live today. Look at the moment. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today he is the God of this day and this moment. Live in it. So lastly, Paul doesn't just look back historically, he doesn't just look currently. He actually turns his attention forward and he looks futuristically. He knows there's an advantage of being able to go, "Hey! Out there is better. And he's not hoping for some sweet pie in the sky and the great by and by. He's saying, everything works for good. I love what the New Living Translation says in verse 19. Hey, I heard you. And the same God who takes care of me. He would say this to every one of us. The same God who supplied everything I needed. Who strengthened me regardless, who gave me contentment like nothing else can, will supply all of your needs. He says, from his glorious riches. In other words, from an endless supply of things in his storehouse. And it's been given to us. You get that? It's not locked away in some mothy treasure cove, it's given to us in Christ. Jesus. You know, what? Paul is certain that there's an abundance for the kingdom in their future. They've been investing into eternity, and he says, I am convinced there's an abundance. Let me show you. Verse 17. Let me flip back there for a second. Not that I'm looking for a gift. Watch this. But I am looking get it? I'm looking forward. I am looking for what may be Credited. The New King James says, I am believing for fruit that abounds to your account. I want to tell you something. I'm not asking God for one, two, or three people to get born again here. I'm asking God for an abundance. I'm believing. I am looking for. You know, it's unfortunate. I will say this. It's unfortunate that the word may in the NIV could be misleading. Because when we say, oh, it may happen... It might happen one day. I hope it happens. That's not what Paul is saying. As a matter of fact, in the original, the word that he uses says, I am looking ahead with faith and anticipation that increase is happening. Listen to me. He's saying, that the word literally, it's a verb that means to increase or to grow. And it is it is worded in such a way that the action is happening now with no regard whatsoever to the future where it ends unending fruit and I don't believe this is going to finish it will only continue and increase Paul says and he becomes even more emphatic in verse 19 and my God will he's gone from he may increase to he will he will why because you're so good and you deserve it no because he is so faithful and so gracious and he is so passionate about people I want to tell you, who will even put up with my, my stupidity and my insecurity and my faults and everything just to get people saved. Just read through Hebrews 11, how much foolishness he put up with people so that his kingdom would advance in the, in the earth. And Paul's emphatic, my God will supply, he will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. This is the promise of provision that has been given to those who are in partnership in the gospel. So if you're in partnership in the gospel, this word isn't just for them, it is for us. This word isn't just for a church that started in Charlestown in 1944 in the middle of a war. This is for a church right here in 2019 that's going into a future with an abundant harvest. My God will supply all your needs because you've been sowing for 75 years. I will supply all your needs for 75 years and more. So here's the deal. Don't just think about yesterday. Don't just get so focused on today that it cripples you. Look ahead with expectation because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the God, not just of yesterday and today, but the God of tomorrow. Things are not out of control. He has it in hand. There's a harvest coming. Um, I know that you guys have been having prophetic moments before the sermon but I really sense by the Spirit of God to do it after the sermon could I ask you to stand to your feet um, I didn't get a sense that this prophetic moment was focused on individuals singled out but was focused on us as a people together. And that God wanted to speak strongly into us as a church. he go, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't, but he does. But he would still say, listen, I'm going to speak. In this moment, it can shift your world if you'll allow it. And not only do I thank God, listen, for the thousands, think about it, for the thousands of lives that have been been impacted through this church for 75 years, I believe there's going to be an abundance of fruit in the years to come. So here's the first thing I want to say. I want you to close your eyes and just, I want you to take this in. If you're comfortable doing it, put your hands out like you're receiving something. I believe it. this is from the Spirit of God for us today, for you, for me. I declare a harvest of precious souls more than we have ever seen before I declare sons and daughters fathers and mothers brothers and sisters neighbors and work colleagues coming home I declare a harvest I don't just declare I prophetically speak of a greater number of people than we can imagine called into the gospel ministry even right here right now Right here, right now, I believe the Holy Spirit is nudging, pulling, saying, Will you give your life to the call to take the gospel wherever I can tell you, here and beyond? It's been a seed, but I believe that seed is breaking forth right now. And there's going to be more in years to come. But I believe even here today, there are those that God has been tugging at your heart and at your life. And he says, I'm going to put my word in you like a fire and you dare not contain it. So if that's you, I want you to just wave at me. I'm not going to call you down the front. Just say, yeah, yeah, that's me. God's been talking to me about this. And I would say, here I surrender. Here I surrender. God has been calling me into this gospel ministry wherever, whenever, however. The details are His, but the response is mine. Right here. Right now. Just give me a wave. Good for you. Anybody else? Good for you. Anybody else? Good for you. Anybody else? Anyone else? Awesome. Awesome. So I declare a harvest. I prophetically speak of a greater number. But I see a strength coming on you that cannot be measured or contained. Not discarded, not diminished, not taken away because of some hardship. But I see a strength rising. A power like you have never had before before in 75 years. I see a strength coming on this church and on the individuals of this church that will cause people to stand in amazement. And I don't just declare and I don't just prophetically speak and I don't just see but I hear the sound of revival. I hear a sound that's going to waken the dead, a sound that's going to bring a fire into cold hearts, a sound that's like a hammer that's going to smash rocks into pieces. I hear the sound of revival in Jesus' name. So Holy Spirit, sink these prophetic truths into our heart and life and into our church right now in Jesus' name. We rise up and respond in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. name.